0: This is Pastor Aaron Shepard, and you are listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, the Church by the Park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the power of God's Word. And so whether you are able to join us when we gather each week at 1015 on Sunday mornings, or whenever or wherever this podcast finds you, I hope that you are inspired anew to deeper faith and greater resolve by the message of the gospel. Our current sermon series is called The Saints of Summer. Throughout this summer, we are assembling an all-star lineup of both well-known and less well-known people whose lives proclaim the good news of God's grace. Here's this week's message.
1: The scripture lesson for this morning is from Acts 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barabbas, Simon who was called Niger, Lucas of Cyrene, Man, member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for they have worked to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salemus, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John with, who was with them to assist them. May God add a blessing to the rehearing of this word.
2: good morning everyone
3: good morning
2: it's a pleasure to be here i love this spot i told aaron at one point my favorite moment still remains those two turkeys that flew over last summer i thought they would go careening into the trees they didn't seem to have very good balance in the air but they made it but it's it reminds all of us of the true beauty of god's creation right in our own backyard it's a perfect place i think for today's talk And by the way, this is a homily, this is not a big sermon. Uh, So it's more reflections of a recent trip than anything. Those of you who know me know that I love to travel. It's my probably greatest passion. My husband Justin and I together have traveled in five continents and and over 50 countries. And he speaks Spanish and I speak German and we both speak a little French and that helps a lot when we're getting around. Recently, in addition to the work that I do in Spain, we took a trip to Cyprus, Turkey and Romania. And uh, my focus today is on Cyprus for obvious reasons. Have any of you been to Cyprus or to Turkey? Some, some have been out that way. Yeah, it's a fascinating country. So we arrived in Paphos late at night um, and our guide Pambos picked us up and Pambos is. Kind of an old Cypriot hippie, the long hair and the big beard and spoke beautiful English and spoke Greek and Turkish and some Arabic, so it was all very useful. We planned this trip two years ago, but you might recall a certain epidemic hit at that time and thwarted our plans, but we kept the plans intact knowing we would definitely be doing this trip, and so these recent months provided that time. Anyway, we arrived in Paphos and after exiting the airport, met up with Pombos, t- drove us out up into the mountains. It's all dark, remember. And these villages are very small. So all we had was the light of the moon and a few little street lights here and there in centers of villages. We finally got to our village called Salamayu. Anyone ever heard of Salamayu? No. Uh, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> Almost, Carol, yeah, but um, so we arrived, and he had set up that some of the leaders in the village would join with us. Uh, One of the women actually prepared a whole dinner. We got in there at 10 p.m., and so they had a dinner in the fridge waiting for us in this beautiful historic stone house, about 300 years old. Um, And anyway, the gentleman said, please join us for worship for the mass tomorrow morning at 7.20. And you can be with us for the chanting. And I thought that sounded wonderful to be in a Cypriot village and, and hear the chanting in the Orthodox Mass. So we had a good night's sleep, got up a bit early at 6 30 and put on put on clothes like this. And stepped out of the house at about 7:10 and then realized we didn't know which church they meant. Now the village had more than one. It had about six churches. And so, you know. They said they'd meet us at the side of the church at 7.20. So we, of course, started wandering around the village and wandering and wandering. (laughs) And these old men that were sitting at one of the tavernas, the taverna wasn't open. This was, you know, 7.30, 7.45 in the morning. They were staring at us. What are these two foreigners doing in nice clothes, wandering around the village? We ended up having to call our guide who lived in a village 20 minutes away. And he wasn't sure which church they were at either. Suddenly, about a little after eight, it dawned on us. Maybe it's the big one on the hill where they're chanting. (laughs) Yes, and I teach college. So we wandered up the hill to the big church. Sure enough, there was chanting. But as a Protestant Christian, when you visit a church, for the first time and don't know anyone where do you go in, in the back to be non-intrusive and to be kind of out of the way and also to see how they're going to be doing things not being an orthodox christian i felt that i'd be in the way well in any case the wind we yeah it's like whew. we got into the back of the beautiful sanctuary I did want to mention this was the Greek Orthodox Church of St. George from the 16th century, restored in 1916, and it had 16th and 17th century icons, big ones, beautiful wood, gold. And of course, in Orthodox style, certain members would come and kiss certain icons. At one point, they were going underneath an icon, and I had to ask later what these rituals meant. But as we were sitting in back, The women nearby were kind of staring at us. One of them said something. I don't speak Greek, so I don't know what it was. Then Pambos, our guide, walked in, came to the back grinning, said, so you decided to sit with the ladies today. (laughs) We had no idea. Of course, in many synagogues, men are on one side, women on the other same in the mosques in islam and there are still some churches where men and women are separated Uh, i'm not here to judge that but i'm not accustomed to it and it never crossed my mind (laughs) but i said well you know we're a gay couple so i suppose it's okay (laughs) plus as it turned out all the men up front they were chanting in byzantine greek and if we had gone up front we couldn't have left by the way you know how long Orthodox Mass lasts? <laughs> she said five. It was, it was about four hours at that particular village, four hours. As much as I enjoyed it, I wasn't up for four hours of Byzantine Greek. So we had a good hour there and then decided to go to brunch and exited and all the ladies stared at us. <laughs> we're like, bye. <laughs> it was fun. Well, anyway, at brunch, we're all still in our church clothes and the men come over after mass had finished (laughs) and they had aged a few years and they came over and said, where were you? (laughs) Why did you sit with the women? (laughs) What's going on? But anyway, we had a nice brunch and they hauled us all off into a van drove into the mountains. And in Cyprus, those mountains in the late spring, early summer, very dry, brown, yellow, bright yellow grass and incredible orchards and vineyards and all of that as well in the mix and we went to an area by the way we didn't pass a single car for an hour and a half these were back mountain roads and you could just see how ancient everything was hardly a soul or even a house to see on these mountains so they brought us to the path of saint paul and barnabas And legend has it that back when Paul and Barnabas and, for a while, John Mark were traveling along that path, they stopped for lunch outside Salamayu, and they had olives, of course, and they spit out the pips, and guess what grew there? Anyway, that's the tradition of the village. I can't confirm it, but there are 2,000-year-old olive groves there. It's possible they were started by Paul, or maybe he walked past them. Our traveling companions included Laura Ethington. You may have remembered her from the Christmas concert. She came up and sang from New York. She's a big girl, big personality, and she doesn't hold back. She's terrified of insects. So anytime a butterfly flew by, she was screaming. Then came our friend Jasmine, who's terrified of snakes. And she said to the guides, are there snakes here? And they looked, well, yes, (laughs) they're around, but they won't bother us. It's the middle of the day, it's hot. And so anytime she thought she saw a snake, she was screaming. So we were with two panicked companions and about three or four men from the village who thought this was all just great fun, scaring the ladies. (laughs) So we ended up climbing up one of those trees and took pictures. And it was just amazing to look at these ancient trees. Some of them split gigantic trunks, three or four directions. And the men pointed out a few and called them art. They said, this is art of antiquity. Look at the way these branches move. Think of all the people who've been nourished by these trees throughout the eras It was really quite amazing. So I just wanted to mention a bit about Cyprus's background. Some of you probably know, but the people who have lived there for the last 3000 years, Mycenaeans, Phoenicians, Assyrians, Egyptians, the Persians for a tiny time, the Greeks, the Romans for quite a while, the Byzantines for even longer, Arabs, Crusaders and French, the Ottoman Turks, the British, and finally the Greeks and Turks today. That's a lot of folks who've come and gone on this beautiful little island. And it was ruled by Egypt until a famous queen died. Do you remember who she might have been? No, that's even further back.
1: <laughs>
2: no, this was Cleopatra. Cleopatra was the last monarch of the Egyptian dynasty, the Ptolemies at the time when she died in 31 BC. And then it came under, of course, Roman rule because she'd been the lover of Mark Antony, who was the, uh, at odds with the coming Emperor Augustus, Octavian. It was a center of commerce, trade and agriculture, and an important military base, obviously, because it faces the Middle East, Turkey, the Aegean, Mediterranean, Egypt, it's facing it all. It was very cool to think I could hop on a plane and in an hour I would be in uh, Tel Aviv or Cairo, or any of these places. So Paul and Barnabas came to Cyprus around 45 of the Common Era. It's not exactly certain when. Um, He was preaching in synagogues, both to Jews and to the Gentiles in various forms. Um, They landed on Salamis in the east, which was founded after the Trojan War. you probably heard of this. That uh, good old Trojan War. Today it's an ancient tourist site. There are remnants of it still there. And it was Barnabas' hometown. So no wonder they started in Salamis. It was also the place where he was later executed because being with missionary zeal of an emerging faith, A sect out of Judaism there are a lot of people that were concerned. Just as we know from Christ's own experience in Judea, as the Apostles traveled in the Eastern Mediterranean basin, what was the dominant faith? No, not Judaism. Paganism. It was the Roman world. And of course, as Christians today, we kind of shiver at the word pagan because the movies have turned it into something evil. But in its time, it was the comforting faith of millions of people. There was a God and goddess for lots of different purposes which had come from their ancient times two, 3000 years before them. So in its time as the dominant faith, it was neither particularly good or bad. We have to keep that in mind. And Judaism was also certainly present, as there were evolving Christian communities that went by different names. Many, many different sects. So they went on to Kishion. And this is a beautiful spot right on the coast with a Roman temple. And Paul preached right there. And we were there. We saw the old villa with all the mosaics. They even had plumbing. Can you believe it? The the Romans installed plumbing back in 45, yeah. Um, They had good water running around and they even had toilets. Have any of you seen Roman toilets? No? Oh, a few have, yeah, they're fascinating. Very communal experience.
3: Um,
2: Now also, Ciscian is today Larnaca. is just outside of Larnaca. There's a famous guy that Jesus raised from the dead named Lazarus. Lazarus, after he was raised from the dead, didn't have such a great life. I don't know if any of you read about his life after that miracle. We sort of leave him there. But he ended up getting thrown out of Judea because he was preaching the Gospel of the Lord and washed up onto Cyprus. Now, we can't confirm everything, but according to tradition and some sources, he apparently landed in Kishion or today Larnaca and what he died there and was buried and they built a church which became a mosque and then became a church again. It's gone through the Roman Catholic and Orthodox hands, the Lazarus church. We can't say for sure if his remains are really there, but it's good to remember him. So in any case, Paul was there and saw Lazarus. Um, So then the final area is the far west of Cyprus that they traveled to. After they were in Salome in the mountains and had their lunch and spit out their olive pips, they went on to Paphos. Now, Paphos today is kind of a British colony, if you've been there. Uh, everyone speaks English and all the resorts serve British food. And uh, I love my British friends, certainly, but I don't always like British food. Uh, one of the most surprising things we found were the sausages for breakfast. Have any of you ever had these British morning sausages? They're, they're mushy. You can eat them with a straw. And I actually complained. I went, I went to management. Yeah. You know, because I am German, and I said, "What is with these sausages?" Um, you know, in my view, a sausage should have a little bit of a of a crunch when you bite into it. And they looked at me and said. Well, as the majority population here is from Britain, we can't appeal to all tastes and we don't have many Americans that visit. And I said, well, I've heard you have Germans here and they like real sausage. He didn't appreciate me. So Paphos, you mentioned Aphrodite. Now we're coming to Aphrodite. This was the ancient cult, the Greek goddess of love and beauty. And she was ostensibly born of sea foam. And all of us went down to the Aphrodite rock, um, which is apparently where she emerged out of the sea. You've probably seen famous paintings of this. And uh, we swam around that rock because if you do, apparently you'll meet your next love. And Justin said, be careful how far you swim. so they went into Paphos, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, and they met this magician, Elimas, who we call a false prophet today from our Christian perspective. But in his time, he was like a vizier or a, you know, a, vice, a vice president or a secretary of state. And he was also a healer. Um, Paul temporarily blinded him. There's a famous painting by Raphael about this. And um, then, Alimus was the attendant to the Roman proconsul Sergius Paulus. Paulus was an important man, and Cyprus, as I mentioned, was a military base for all these various empires. And he converted to Christianity, thanks to Paul and Barnabas. Um, So, you think about that. This is in 45. The Emperor Constantine, who converted the empire to Christianity, didn't come around until the 300s, I think 320 or something. So this is a very early conversion of Roman leadership. So um, because of Paul's ranting after the proconsul converted, he wanted everyone to convert, so he was a bit zealous, and some of the church or uh, leaders of the synagogue had him tied to a pillar and whipped. That pillar is there, we visited it, although it looks to me like it was something that was put together in the 1970s. I'm not sure it's from 45, but I could be wrong. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 11:24, Paul writes, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now I'm a bit sensitive to anti-Semitism, having had Jewish friends throughout my life, um, but I can kind of see why Paul was upset with them, because every time he seemed to go to a stronghold, they would they would whip him. Thirty nine lashes. That's very unpleasant, if you think about it. So no wonder he was a bit jaded. From there, the apostles moved on to Perga, which is now um, southern Turkey. And many Cypriot Jews converted to Christianity at this time, especially after the proconsul converted. There was a little bit more impetus than to join this event. Um, Just one little side note that Barnabas, he was a Levite and something of a musician. I don't know if you knew this. And he died a rather horrible death, um, as many of them did, for preaching the word of the Lord. He was uh, brutally tortured and then burned to death in Salamis, his hometown, by a huge mix of people. I think wherever they went, at some point, people felt threatened, so they reacted. It's important to remember, too, Paul being from Antioch, which is uh, right next to Syria and southeastern Turkey, Antioch was the first place where the followers of Jesus were called Christians. Um, It didn't happen in Judea. They were all Jews, just a sect of Judaism. But by Antioch, and as they started moving westward into the empire, they were called Christians. Another story from the travel now is the monastery that I cannot pronounce. I think it's Chrysorojitistasta. It was founded in the 12th century in the mountains of Cyprus. It has 18th century buildings today, if you can imagine, just beautiful pillars, loggia in Italian, flowers and plants everywhere, wonderful cobblestone, and uh, 900-year-old priests walking around um, uh, in a beautiful vestments, although I don't know how they wear all black in the summer. And I don't mean like, I mean heavy, heavy cloaks and big hats and all that. So our, my guide, Pombos asked me if I wanted to observe one of the rituals. I said, sure. So we went into the chapel, which had uh, Orthodox lanterns. You've probably seen in uh, liturgical faith the, the eternal light of God, right? That's sort of taken from the old churches. It's one lamp that we have in the Lutheran Church, Episcopal Church. There were 30 lamps up there, and I asked Pambos what they were for, and he had no idea. <laughs> so. Anyway, in came a, a young mother and her son. Her son was maybe nine or ten. And they and, we, and I were standing on the side in the middle. And they went around kissing every icon. Those of you who've seen Orthodox churches, there are a lot of icons to kiss. So you're going to be in there a while. The child, I don't think, quite knew what was happening. He sort of looked at his mother like, I have to do this again. You know, and around they went. They came up to the front and out came the the father and he never spoke to the to the boy and and didn't look him in the eyes and he brought out an old book and faced the front and said (laughs) and that was it that was the ceremony i didn't know what was said or what happened i'm not sure the child knew what happened either but As I was asking Pambos and he was explaining to me what things represented, I started to understand much of this, these icons, the lanterns, the paintings, the incense, was to turn the mind toward the divine. And it didn't matter how the words were said, just that they were said, and that they were to be praised to God and that the boy was to come closer into the family of the Lord. But of course, as an outsider, it all seemed a bit strange. I was glad to get the explanations. The final frightening moment was in Istanbul, one of my favorite cities. I've been there when I was young. I was a backpacker with long hair. And uh, it was Justin's first time in Istanbul. And there we were, we, we left our beautiful hotel, walking through a part of the, the older town, coming around the side of the Sofia Hadjia Mosque, the famous one. Then all of a sudden, as we were entering a courtyard, BAM, Allah Akbar, the call from the minarets. It was so loud. We realized we were at the base of the minaret. This gigantic one from one of the biggest mosques in Istanbul Justin freaked out, (laughs) he's like, what What is happening here? And we stopped, pulled away and listened. And it's a very beautiful, almost haunted sound, I think. I've enjoyed hearing the call to to worship throughout the Islamic world. Later, we took a tour of this cathedral. And of course, it was built under Justinian the first in 537, built in five years and um in its time it was by far the largest cathedral ever constructed until the cathedral of seville spain was finished a thousand years later and of course after the ottoman conquest it became this magnificent mosque but what's unique is that they retained the christian imagery you look up and you can see mary and christ and you see the apostles Paul is up there. Now, for certain worship, they have a little curtain they cover because technically in Islam, you aren't to have paintings of people or animals. They believe that's only for God. Humans are not to create that, but they understand the significance to people of all faiths there. I found it fascinating to look up and see Paul on the side of a mosque in Istanbul. Of course, he was put there under Christian leadership long, long ago. In his missionary journeys, Paul faced storms, shipwreck, flogging, imprisonment several times, and stoning. In Corinth, he planted the seed of a new religion and formed a small community. He apparently wrote some four or five letters to the Corinthians, although only two were codified into the New Testament. Athens, which he visited later, of poets, dramatists, philosophers, and logical thought, Paul trained in their craft. It was viewed at the time and later that his mission to Athens was a failure, however, as no one of importance accepted Christ. And for the most part, he was teased by the pagan believers. In Ephesus, they had the goddess Artemis. Do any of you know what's unique about Artemis? Uh, Many-breasted, multiple. Uh, She was a fertility goddess. So there was great learning, Greek philosophy, a small Christian community there before Paul's arrival. Uh, Again, most were pagan believers. Paul challenged Artemis and was pointing a finger at sculptures and then was hauled off to prison. They didn't appreciate his objecting to the statues of the fertility goddess. He wrote letters there in Ephesus. Um, There's some discrepancy and you can say what you will about who wrote what letter. Scholars and academicians have confirmed of seven of the letters actually in Paul's writing that others may have been added by scribes others who knew Paul, because several emerged after Paul's death. So I don't think he was writing from the grave, but in any case, he was writing letters there in the prison in Ephesus. There were Christians baptized there. Finally, Rome, which was the center of the world, and a pagan stronghold. Women wielded power and influence. They could inherit property, give property away, divorce at will, choose their partners, act as patronesses, endow and build temples and churches. Of course, this was more of the aristocratic women more than anything, but suffice it to say, women held a very important role in society in the Roman time. One needed women on their side wielding power. I'm not entirely sure Paul was a huge fan of women uh, some of the statements in the scriptures we view as um, what do you say, sort of of its time, you know, history and social strict restrictions. But in Rome, they didn't accept such social restrictions. They weren't interested in separating men from women. Certainly, that women could not handle property, so they were butting heads most definitely. Paul and Peter was there too. We're not sure if they were around each other. Likely, I think. So a lot of st- powerhouse apostles were in Rome at the same time attempting to bring shed light on this world, but that world in 45, 46, and 50 of the common era wasn't interested in, in change. Phoebe brought Paul's letter to the Romans, likely written in Corinth. Paul was put under house arrest, but he could teach. They didn't care if he was teaching as long as he wasn't you know, offending to many people. There was a Christian community already present in Rome when Paul and Peter were there. But Paul was emphasizing justification by faith, not works, not statues, not how many gods you can cram onto your altar, but faith in the one God. Then there was the great fire, 64, Emperor Nero, who was no friend of the Christians. There was severe persecution in that time. We don't know for sure, but they state, based on many of the treatises that were written later, that Paul was beheaded and his remains placed outside of the walls. And at that time, a very small structure was erected in his memory. There were no large churches built at that time. That came much later. Of course, today, it's a Papal Basilica called St. Paul's Outside the Walls. Have any of you been there in Rome? No? It's one of the seven pilgrimage sites of Christianity in Rome. I'm not sure Paul would recognize anything of it today, but it is a, a beautiful structure in his honor. So I have to say, being in that part of the world imagining what life may have been like, the richness and the struggles, like in every era. Issues with gender, issues between language. Some spoke Greek, some spoke dialects of Greek, some Aramaic, which was called Hebrew at the time. Then there were others that were speaking a different kind of Hebrew. And some spoke all and some spoke none. And all these different empires I mentioned who came and went, Even in Paul's time, six or seven major empires had put their presence on the land, and with that came religious thinking. I would imagine it'd be a daunting task to be Paul and Barnabas in that time and look at the Mediterranean world and think about bringing the truth of the gospel to this huge, diverse population. I can't even imagine trying to do that and then facing the shipwrecks and the stonings and all the rest. For me, with Paul Barnabas and John Mark walking the dry windswept path in Cyprus, through timeless villages, yellow grass and lush groves and orchards, views of the sea in the distance, lunchtime and fresh local olives, not knowing the impact of their Jewish sect to have on the world, and that you are saved by faith alone, not by your works, not by what you have done, but what is in your heart and your love for the Lord. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has been a blessing to you. I know that having you listen to it is a blessing to our church, For more information about Union and its ministries, you can visit churchbythepark.org or find us on social media. Our handle is at churchbythepark. Our theme music is by the 126ers. Once again, blessings on your day, on your week, and may the peace of Christ be with you.